Go thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. All right, hey everybody. You know, today is Saturday. Yeah, it is. Which means, people, we have a great interview. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Okay, so here's the thing, everybody. What you got to do is you got to share this out, okay? Because I have been waiting for this interview, like, since I booked it. (laughs) Yep. Of course. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't wait for it until I booked it, right? But anyway, hey, you guys know how much I love Israel. And you know how much I love Bible prophecy. Um, And you know that I'm this much Jewish. So I think that you are going to enjoy tonight's show. Matter of fact, I know you are. Because I'm brainwashing you right now to believe it. Yeah, dream it, believe it, and achieve it, people. (laughs) All right, no, just kidding. You don't have to achieve it. But All right, so tonight we're broadcasting on Facebook, on our Bible News Radio page, as well as on YouTube. We're also on Twitch, I think, and we're going to rip the audio, we're going to like put it all everywhere else on iTunes, and, you know, blah, blah, stuff. Okay, so what are we going to do here? We're going to talk about the book. It's a brand new book. It's called I Am Cyrus. Yep, it's the epic story of prophecy fulfilled, and... It says here, I am Cyrus, Harry S. Truman, and the rebirth of Israel. Now, you guys know that Randall and I always talk about Israel. We love it. Ariel Ministries is our sponsor. You guys know that. Don't forget, you can always look at the scrolling ticker down there. And then you can, you know, read, you know, our ads and stuff. And, and you can go and support the show that way. I had the blessing of going to Israel. I went on a tour. I had a whole day with Kay Arthur, which was super cool. She rocks. And then we talked to some Messianic rabbis. Actually, one clandestine, like, I think he was a secret Messianic rabbi. He didn't want anybody to know about it. But talked to some people over in Israel. Anyway, the fact is Israel is cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't care for some of their politics, you know, with the gay agenda and stuff. But that's not the point, people. The point is that Israel is awesome because it's God's chosen land. And let me tell you a little bit about this book we're going to talk about. First of all, I'll tell you, it was endorsed by our friend Doug Hershey, who wrote Israel Rising, Ancient Prophecy, Modern Lens. He wrote, At a time when much of Israeli and Jewish history is being twisted or subtly rewritten, a documented history book like this is right on time. We are in a time when biblical prophecy, history, and current events are colliding in Israel, and so few today seem to recognize the profound implications of what that means. For those looking into that convergence, I am Cyrus, should be on their reading list. By the way, anytime I have a book on the show, generally speaking, people, it should be on your reading reading list. All right, also, Dr. Michael Brown, you guys know, know Dr. Mike, Michael Brown. Also a Messianic believer, he said, What an amazing story, all of it true. The book reads like a novel, 
but it is well-researched and carefully documented, giving the background to the miracle of modern Israel and the unique role played by President Harry Truman, the Cyrus of his day. What a timely and enjoyable read. And, uh, you know, Dr. Michael Brown is president of Fire School Ministry and the host of Line of Fire radio program, and he's super cool. Yeah, he is. Oh, and then, of course, I have to tell, I got to read Janet Parcel's endorsement because, you know, she's my radio mentor. Uh, she said, the story of how the nation of Israel came to be is one of the most fascinating in human history. God has never turned his back on his chosen people, and he always surprises us on how his promises to them are fulfilled. Read this book to be reminded again that God does and always will intercede in the affairs of mankind. Jana Parshall, who is a nationally syndicated talk show and formerly known as the Queen of Christian Radio and the host of Janet Parshall's America. And now I believe she's the host of In the Market with Janet Parshall, <laughs> which made me, always makes me think of going shopping because, you know, but it means marketplace of ideas, not like the grocery store. All right. And so who is my guest, people? That's probably what you want to know, right? Mm-hmm. Just say it. Declare it. You know it. Okay. My guest tonight is Dr. Craig Von Busick. Did I nail it? He nailed it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's the editor of digital content for inspiration.org, the website of Inspiration Ministries in Charlotte, North Carolina. He is an author and a popular speaker. His books include Nobody Knows the Harry uh, T. Burley Story, Praying the News, co-written with the 700 Club host, Wendy Griffith, and Seven Keys to Hearing God's Voice, and of course, tonight's book, I Am Cyrus, Hear Me Roar. Um, <laughs> I couldn't resist. Sorry, I had to do that. So anyway, Craig, hey, I'm going to call you Dr. Craig. How's that sound? That's great, Stacy. Thank you for having me on the program. Well, I'm glad you're here, and thank you for you know the the pre-talk that we had. That's always fun to yeah to connect. All right. So, what I always like to do during the show at some point, I'm going to ask you some A-list guest questions, which have nothing to do at all with your book. Okay. Okay. They're just fun questions. I, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, because you. I have to say, you know, are deserving of these questions. <laughs> and my audience is like, oh, this will be fun, Stace. Okay. Uh, so just make sure I don't forget to ask you these because they're unique. And your raving super fans, wherever they follow you, they'll never know. They will learn something new about you because of this question. Oh, good. Okay. So I'm going to write me a note right there before I forget. Okay. Because I'm at that age where I forget stuff. Uh, me too. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Okay, so, you know, um, I'd like to start with getting to know you a little bit. I mean, on a personal way, you know, so, because, you know, I've never met you until today, and, you know, I know you've been around for a while, kind of like me and my husband, so did you, like, tell me about your life. Are you married? No. No? Not married? Okay. That's unusual. Are you widowed? <laughs> You're not widowed, are you? No. Okay. Ever been married? I have. Okay. All right. Well, do you have any children? I have three children. Okay. They're uh, all grown up adults now, 29, 27, 25. Two boys and a girl. Ah, cool. All right. Your quiver is full. That's all yes. that matters. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry. My other job is I sell legal shields, so I'm always asking people if they have wills and stuff like that. So. Oh. Yep. <laughs> Anyway, 
Well, okay. So do you, uh, um, were you raised in a Christian home? I was actually, um, my parents were both believers. Uh, they got saved in the Jesus movement in the late sixties. Uh, although my mom, you know, she grew up in the Roman Catholic church and she said, I was always saved. I grew up saved, <laughs> but my dad, he said, no, I had a, a salvation experience in the late 1960s, uh, in the Jesus movement. And so, um, myself and I had seven siblings, I still do. Wow. And, uh, we all, most of us went to Christian school for most of our lives. Uh, I went to public school the last two years of my schooling in high school, but the rest of it was all Christian school, which gave me a very strong uh, biblical foundation. I'm very thankful for that. Oh, that's very cool. So are you a firstborn by any chance? Uh, no, I have two older sisters. So you are a firstborn? A uh, firstborn boy. boy. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's really important in birth order. Just so you know, you probably know that. That's my yes. therapy talking. But... But it is interesting because you're an overachiever, I can tell. So, <laughs> well, no, it's true. You're a firstborn boy, which means your mom and dad practiced on you because you're the guy, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is true. Mm -hmm. That is very true. It's true. In fact, yeah. they, your sisters, when she ate dirt for the first time, they probably freaked out and got the iodine. But by the time you came along, number three, right? Right. They were like, who cares? You're going to live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my older sister took me on her paper route one time and, I was sitting on the handlebars as we were coming home and she thought it would be funny to hit me on the ears with her hands, which meant that she had to let go of the handlebars. <laughs> and so we fell over and my head hit the curb and I started bleeding profusely and uh, ran the block back home with blood running down my face and my sister saying, don't tell mom, don't tell mom. <laughs> and I walked in the door. My mom sat me down, looked me in the face and said, Craig, are you conscious? <laughs> so yeah it, by the time i came around they they were much more calm <laughs> that's funny <laughs> that that is funny i bet you weren't expecting to hear that story were you <laughs> yeah i was like yeah mom of course <laughs> yeah i had one of those experiences it wasn't it, it had nothing to do with a sibling doing that or anything but one of the things that did happen was i do you remember when uh um, collecting aluminum cans started to be the fad, you know, so you could earn yes. some extra money. Well, I had a bike. I lived at the top of a hill and I had these, um, I had a plastic bag and I was going to go out to collect aluminum cans so I could earn some money. And I was going down the hill, you know, and as I was going down, all of a sudden I decided to reach down to get the bag as it was slipping and I ended up falling literally over the handlebars. Oh, yeah. I bit the I bit the concrete and to this day well I have I have a scar under my chin where they actually had to do plastic surgery but I'll never wow. forget I ended up at the bottom of the street I was laying there in the middle of the street like with blood coming out of my face and I was waiting for somebody to come and rescue me and nobody did so then I got up and I brought my bike all the way up to my house and went in and and when my mom saw me she started screaming her head off like ah you know Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. I had, I had the stitches in my head. And so I was actually quite popular, you know, in the neighborhood cause I had that Frankenstein thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> Have you broken any bones? Just curious. <laughs> no, no, what? Not, not no broken bones. Really? Wow. No bones. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I always lost to my older sister uh, on the number of stitches. 
because she was one of the first children in America to ever have open heart surgery. She had a heart murmur and would not have lived past her teens. And so in the 1960s, she had open heart surgery. And so she always had the most stitches of any of the kids. Wow. Even with my Frankenstein head, I I lost that battle. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad that you lost. I mean, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, it's probably a better thing for me. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) That's funny. Well, I almost am tempted to ask your A- the A-list guest question for You know what I am? I'm forget it. I'm going to ask it first. Bring it we'll, on. We'll talk about this book. Okay, so you're 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 a firstborn boy. You have seven. You're one of seven. Okay, so did your family cook eggs? Did my family cook eggs? Yeah. Do you like eggs? I I just had an egg salad sandwich before I went on the air. So you did. Does that count? It was good. The answer is yes. Okay. So okay. So. This was a psychologist that came up with this question. It's not mine originally. But, okay, so when you buy eggs at the store, right, do you buy them in a carton or do you buy the flat? Uh, I buy them in the carton, usually the the double pack. So there's plenty of eggs. Gotcha. Okay, so when you open the carton up and you take the eggs out and then you crack the egg in the thingy, what do you do with the shell? Uh, normally I have a bowl cause I usually never drink or never eat one egg at a time. So I'll have a bowl nearby and I'll put the eggs in the bowl or the shells in the bowl. Uh, and then I'll walk them over and throw them in the garbage. Don't compost or nothing, huh? No, not where I am. I'm, I'm in a rental area. So <laughs> maybe when I have my own home. I'll do the compost. Okay. You know what? You would not believe the controversy on this, on this question. Yeah, I, I'm scared to hear. Okay, well, there well, is. That's I really am. There are some people <laughs> that, you know, believe if you put eggshells down a garbage disposal, you'll ruin the garbage disposal. There are other people who believe that if you throw the eggshells in the trash, you're you're evil. And then there's other people who think that you should just, you know, compost them all together. Either, okay. Either way. I'm with you. It's okay to throw them away. Yeah. There's some yeah. people that say you should just feed the eggshells to your dog, too, because it's good for them. But I don't know about that. Well, we had a compost pile growing up, and uh, so we would take, you know, the banana peels and the eggshells and all that stuff, and we'd throw them back there. But then we never did anything with <laughs> – so now there's, like, this beautiful mound of dirt in the back of the my parents' yard that just is a mound of dirt, very uh, full of nutrients, though, I would imagine. Yeah. Cool. All right, so what about after you have all the eggs and you take some of them out? Do you rearrange the eggs in the egg carton or what do you do? No. You take them out like in a organized fashion? Like Not, so- I don't think about it, but you know, if I were to think about it, I always start in the front and I take them out until they're at the end as far away from me as possible. So I start with the ones close to me and then move back. That's how I do my eggs. There you go. <laughs> All right. So weirdest question ever, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you have an answer for, you know, what this all means? Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with what type of personality you are. I mean, seriously, because I'm a haphazard personality. So uh, I just take it out, whatever. I don't care, you know. But there are some people who are strategic about it so that so that they can take out the carton without it tipping. It has to be even and stuff. And I'm like, whatever. Got to be balanced. Yeah. 
There you go. Well, I figure I know where the eggs are so I can grab them and pull it out and it's balanced because the eggs are where I know they are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good question though. All right. Yeah. My other A-list guest question is this, and sometimes this question makes people cry. So I hope this doesn't uh, bring up a traumatic okay. memory. I have, I have tissues nearby. Okay. So the question is, did you pass your driver's license test on the first time? I did, but almost failed. And the reason that I almost failed was that I learned how to drive on my parents' Ford Econoline, those big honker truck, uh, not truck, but uh, vans from the uh -huh. 1970s. But then when I went to do my test, my parents traded that in for another car. And I didn't know where everything was on this new car. They got a Chevy Citation. And so when it was time for the test, you know, we did the test in the actual car in Pennsylvania where I grew up. Yeah. And so I didn't know where things were. And my dad had to come around and show me where it was. And I thought, well, I failed. But the guy had mercy on me since it was a new car and he let me pass. Oh, that's nice. So he knowingly passed somebody who he wasn't sure could really truly drive just to be nice to you. Well, I had already <laughs> done all the driving. I just didn't know where some of the uh, gates were. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> but yes, he was a man of mercy for sure. <laughs> with his big uh, Smokey the Bear hat. That's funny. Uh, okay, last question. That has okay. to do with, do you have any magnets on your refrigerator? Uh, no. I have magnets on a, I have a little, uh, one of those stainless steel type boards that hangs next to my sink. And I have magnets on there. But my fridge has kind of got that weird, you know, kind of surface, the magnets fall off. Uh -huh. So I don't have any magnets. However, I do have my newest book. I taped up all the chapters. And as I finish a chapter, I use a highlighter and cross it out so that it's always there in front of me. And it also is encouraging that, I, you know, as I'm getting closer to the end of the book. So <laughs> I do have something on my fridge, but it's taped on. There you go. Well, you know what? Twyla Paris was the first person I asked that question to, and she has a fridge that doesn't do magnets either. Ah, uh, well, I, I have some, you know, the warrior is a child, right? That's right. <laughs> that, that's right. All right. So that's it. That's our, that's our A-list guest segment. If you're. Oh, well, thank you. Listen I enjoyed to, that. To the archive people, then, you know, we took up 20 minutes of your day with fun <laughs> banter, but that's okay. Because the rest of this interview is going to be deep, people theological okay well it's historical so okay so so you wrote this book and i've been really excited about this because um because i love israel and i love i love history of america and israel and bible stuff so why did you decide to write this book about the rebirth of israel which is which in itself if people want to know god exists all i gotta do is look at israel right yeah that's what sid roth said in endorsing this book he said uh one of the greatest proofs of god's existence is the existence of modern day Israel and that mm -hmm. the Jews are still a collective people who primarily are the same as they were 2000 years ago. That is an amazing thing having been spread to all four corners of the earth and now are, you know, being brought back. But where it all began for me was in 1988, a friend of mine gave me a cassette tape. That's how far back this goes of a group called Friends of Israel. And in this uh, tape, it, tell, it told the story of 
Harry S. Truman and his Jewish business partner and how his Jewish business partner, Eddie Jacobson, had a role in the rebirth of Israel. And I was fascinated by this story and I never forgot it. And so fast forward to 2012 and I was in a worship service and uh, just you know spending time worshiping the Lord in a church service. And all of a sudden the Lord started to speak to my heart and he said, my people Israel are about to come into a higher level of persecution. Now, this was before ISIS was on the scenes, and uh, it was before, I mean, Iran was a problem, Hezbollah was a problem, but it's, you know, for those who have been following Israel, you know that things are much more difficult now than they were then. And uh, what I felt like the Lord said was he wanted me to write this story about Eddie Jacobson and Harry S. Truman, uh, because he said, I want people to see that my hand was upon the rebirth of Israel so that they will know that my hand is upon Israel today. And so that's why I did that. I started in 2012, did about four to five years of research and one and a half years writing and then another year or so editing uh, to do the full book. All right, people, you see how long you see how long it took him to write this book. So don't be complaining that it's a couple of bucks to buy. <laughs> Just saying. I always think uh a book is the best investment anybody can buy. I don't care how much the book is because as an author myself, I know how long it takes to write a book. And now, and this is historical, right? So how did you get interested in Harry Truman? Well, it, you know, I've always loved history. I remember back in the seventies, my sister uh, started bringing home uh, vinyl LPs of musicals. And one of the musicals that she brought home was 1776. Uh -huh. And I fell in love with, well, I always loved the music, but I loved the story. And that gave me a lifelong interest in history. And so I actually thought about majoring in history in college, but I couldn't figure out how I would make a living <laughs> with a history degree at that time. Nobody really was able to answer that question for me. And so I ended up uh, having a com uh, communication degree with or a bachelor's with a uh, minor in history. And so I've always followed history over the years. And of course, you know, having grown up in a Christian home, going to Christian school, and then uh, being in ministry, I've always had kind of two uh, wagon wheel tracks. One has been the communication on one side, and the other one has been the ministry on the other side. So my master's degree was actually a joint degree of divinity and journalism. And so I always uh, found the importance of Israel to be a centerpiece for us as Bible-believing Christians. And so it all came together in this story about how Harry Truman was pivotal in Israel becoming a modern nation. Yeah. See, that's so cool. <clears throat> and you know what? I'm so glad you did that. And you know what? I, I really think that our audience is loving this art. We have people on Periscope, YouTube, Facebook, all watching uh, and so I just want to say hi to everybody. Glad that you could get out and get on tonight. Last night was kind of a disaster, but you guys made it. So do me a favor, share this out. Okay. Cause, uh, cause this is cool. And you know what? I designed this interview to build your faith. You know, that's what I'm all about. You guys know that. So, um, so the book, I am Cyrus, you know, we've, and, and I, I know you've probably already answered this a million times with other people, but you know, everybody's always saying that Donald Trump 
is Cyrus, you know, comparing, <laughs> caring, comparing that. Um, and maybe he is right. A type, but, but you told me earlier that Harry Truman actually made that comment. Tell us about the title and how that came about. Yeah. Well, it all comes from this relationship with uh, this guy, Eddie Jacobson. They were buddies in Kansas city. They went off to world war one together and after the war, they decided to go into business having a men's clothing store. Back then, they called it a haberdashery, which is a wonderful word. And um, the first couple of years, it did very well. Uh, but then there was a post-war recession. And so they unfortunately had to go out of business. But they remained friends for the rest of their lives, really like brothers. And so after the clothing store closed, Harry Truman started in his political career. And he started moving up the ladder, and it's truly a remarkable thing that he became president of the United States because he was a failed businessman. He was a farmer who only made ends meet. He said they always had debt. He never went to college, and yet he stepped into the White House filling the shoes of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, of all people. I mean, they couldn't have been more different in uh, their background. And so Harry Truman comes in while World War II was still going on, and he has to make a lot of major decisions. I mean, some of the most important decisions in American history were made by this man. But the thing that was amazing about Harry Truman was that he had these Coke bottle type glasses, you know, those thick glasses that make your eyes look really, really big, uh -huh. because without them, he was almost blind. And so... His parents were poor farmers and they told him, you can't play football, you can't roughhouse because we can't afford to buy you more glasses and we don't want these broken. So instead, he read every book in the Independence Missouri Library and his favorite was biography and history. Hmm. So he knew history and he knew biography better than most of the people in the State Department when he came into the White House. He probably was the best read or one of the best read uh, presence we ever had on history and biography. He also read through the Bible about six different times. He was what his mom called a lightfoot Baptist, hmm. meaning a Baptist who also liked to dance. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> he knew the Bible, he knew biblical history, and he knew the history of the Jews. And putting this into context, we need to remember that he came into the White House when they were just discovering what was happening with the Holocaust. Hmm. And so they were literally, the day that Franklin Roosevelt died was the first day that the American troops found a concentration camp. So Eisenhower and Patton and, and uh, Montgomery, or not Montgomery, but uh, Bradley were discovering all these dead bodies and all of this carnage. And then they leave that and they say, oh, by the way, the president is dead. And now Harry Truman is president. And so Truman learned all about the uh, 6 million Jews that died, but he also had the responsibility to help decide what was going to happen with the 1.5 million survivors of the Holocaust. And these people ended up staying in these concentration camps because they didn't want to go back to their homes. It was terribly dangerous. They didn't want to stay in, in Europe because all their brethren, 6 million of their brothers and sisters had been murdered. So when the United States Army pulled these Jews, 90 plus percent said that they wanted to go back to Palestine. The problem was that the British were in Palestine from World War I, having won it against the Turks, and they didn't want to give back 
at that point, Palestine to the Jews. They wanted to give it to the Arabs so that they would keep a good relationship with the Arabs so that they could have oil in case of World War III against the Soviets. So Harry Truman walks in and says, hey, wait a second. You made a promise to these people called the Balfour Declaration after World War I, where you said that you were going to give Palestine to the Jews. And he said, and not only did you make that promise, but you called on our American president, President Woodrow Wilson, and he made that promise. So this isn't just a British promise. This is also an American promise, and you need to keep your promise. So the British said, well, we'll throw it into the UN and let them decide, the brand new United Nations. And so um, as this was being debated, there was all kinds of pressure on Harry Truman, pressure from the Arabs, pressure from the American Jews, the Zionists, and pressure from the State Department, who very much agreed with the British. And so it got to the point where Truman said, I'm done. I, I, you know, because some of the, unfortunately, some of the Jewish leaders were being rude to him and even in public had been rude to him. And so he slammed the doors of the White House shut and said, I'm not talking to anyone else. Well, the vote was coming up in the UN and the Zionists were panicking because they didn't know what Truman's decision would be and he wouldn't talk to any of their leaders. And so somebody said, oh, wait a minute. Harry Truman had this Jewish business partner who's his buddy. Let's call him and see if he can go in there. So they called Eddie Jacobson and they woke him up in the middle of the night. Of the night. Eddie took his own dime and flew to the White House, walked in unannounced, went into the Oval Office and said, Harry, you need to do the right thing. And Truman said, I'm not talking about this, Eddie. Uh, I, I know everything there is to know. I don't need to talk to anybody else. Well, Eddie got all upset about that and actually started to tear up. And he thought, right now, my best friend is the biggest anti-Semite in the world. What am I going to say here? And he looked over and he saw a statue of Andrew Jackson. And he said, Harry, you know, all our lives you told us, told me about your hero, Andrew Jackson. Do you know who my hero is? And Harry said, no, who's your hero, Eddie? And he said, my hero is a man named Heim Wiseman, who was basically the Benjamin Franklin of the Zionist movement. He was the guy who convinced the British to make the Balfour Declaration in the first place. And he said, Heim Wiseman is waiting in a hotel room to talk to you, and you won't let him come in because some of our other Jewish leaders were rude to you? Hmm. It doesn't sound like you, Harry. I thought you could take the heat in this place. So Harry turned around, he looked out the window of the White House over the lawn, and then finally he turned back and he said, all right, you bald-headed blankety-blank, go ahead and set up the meeting. And so they snuck Heim Wiseman into the White House so that the press wouldn't see him come in. And it was in that meeting with Heim Wiseman and then later Eddie Jacobson that Harry Truman made his decision to support the nation of Israel. And so he then said to the people in the UN, make sure this vote goes in our favor. And so they put pressure on other nations to vote in favor of Israel becoming a nation. Many people don't know that story, but that's what this is all about. So back to your question, I say all that to answer your question. <laughs> In that, a year later, the uh, chief rabbi, Herzog, from Israel came to the White House and visited with Truman. And Truman said, do you know what I did in support of the rebirth of Israel? And Rabbi Herzog said, yes. And like Cyrus of old, you will always be remembered for what you did to help the Jews come back to their land. And uh, Eddie or uh, Truman walked over around his desk with tears in his eyes. And he said, 
do you really believe that? And the rabbi said, yes, you are a modern Cyrus. So the year after Truman left the White House, he was invited to uh, go and speak at the Jewish seminary in New York City. And Eddie Jacobson was there with him and introduced him and said, please welcome President Truman who helped in the rebirth of Israel. Everybody clapped. And when they were done, Truman stood up and he said, he turned to Eddie and he said, what do you mean helped in the rebirth? He said, I am Cyrus. I am Cyrus. And that's where the name of the book came from. Hmm. Yeah, that was so cool. See, that touches me. I know you can't tell, but I have tears in my eyes. <laughs> I I do because, you know, because it's just, you never know. And, and, you know, I think, I don't know. I think when I think about like on that final day when we're all in eternity together, you know, all of us play a, a special role somewhere, right? That's right. And and I just I just think when it comes to Israel, there's probably so many unsung heroes that we don't even know about. And so that that guy, I know I forgot his name already, but you know who I'm talking about. Eddie Jacobson. <laughs> yeah, him, Eddie Jacobson. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's kind of late. <laughs> Just took a nap a while ago. And, um, but anyway, you know how he came in. He influenced Truman. But, you know, that also says a lot about Truman's heart, too, that it was soft enough to be able to receive what he had to receive in order to do the right thing. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, going back to, quote, modern day, like today, you know, with President Trump, even, um, I didn't understand when all this stuff was going on, everybody was saying he was Cyrus and all this other stuff. I don't know who the heck is Cyrus. I don't even know who that is, you know, uh, just being honest, like most of you out there, I'm pretty sure you didn't either. Um, and I remember, you know, not too long ago when president Trump, uh, went ahead and, you know, had the embassy, the U S embassy moved to Jerusalem. I had on, um, another guy, uh, Tuli, Tuli Weissman from, yes. from uh, Israel 360, uh, you know, I had him on talking about it and some of the other, you know, non-Messianic Jews, and they were just talking to me about how, how amazing President Trump was compared to Obama and, you know, and how the Jews love Trump because, you know, he's been supportive and here's, you know, these decades of, of presidents haven't moved the embassy and now here's this man keeping his promise. And yes. and that wouldn't happen if, if Truman didn't do what he did in the first place. So, yeah, it's fascinating. And it's also fascinating that that took place because uh, God is it, it's amazing how he seems to keep track of the numbers. Mm -hmm. It took place on the 70th anniversary of right. the birth of Israel. Uh, I don't think that there was any accident to that. I think that was a sovereign act that God used President Trump to do uh, for his purposes. Yeah, I think that's so cool. I was actually in Israel on the, I think it was the 60th anniversary. We were there. Me and Randall went and that was, it was crazy. It was it's amazing. It's an amazing place. I've been there once myself and I look forward to going back. Yeah. Well, We'll have a long time there at some point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm looking at my questions here. I want to see if anybody actually out there has any questions. Anybody on anywhere have any questions for Dr. Craig? Do you guys wait? Hold on. I got up other screens open here. I'm trying to get back to where I was. See if I can see any questions anywhere. Over on YouTube. I got to scroll up. There's just some people saying hi over there. 
Anybody on Periscope have any questions? Hey, anyway, at any time during the show, you guys, if you have any questions, let let us know. And we'll ask we'll ask Craig, okay, what they are. And he'll be able to answer all of them. Mm-hmm. Because that's the type of great guest I have. Bring them on. Yeah. Okay, so you talked about Zionism, okay? And this question says here, why did Zionism emerge among the Jews in the 1800s or 1880s? And how did that contribute to Israel becoming a nation in 1948. Yeah, let's talk about Zionism as far as that goes and modern day, quote, so-called Zionism and the attack on on Jews today. Because, you know, people are using that like it's a slur, like, yeah, you're a Zionist, you stupid Zionist, you know? I mean, I've been accused of being a Zionist. Darn it. Can you believe that? Yeah, me too. I am. Build a bridge, get over it. That's my attitude. It's, Mm -hmm. It's... I'd rather be on God's side than the devil's side, just so you know. Okay, but anyway, so what are your thoughts? Well, uh, the birth of Zionists came about as a result of 1,800 years of the Jews being scattered to the winds, and wherever they were, they were powerless. Uh, They were in someone else's country, and they they weren't able to protect themselves. And because they were a different culture, a different... Many times they used the, the Hebrew language. Uh, they had a very different type of religion than uh, many of the countries that they were living in. Uh, they were a persecuted minority. And the largest concentration of Jews in the world at that time was in, in Russia. And if you ever saw the movie Fiddler on the Roof, that's what we're talking about. Okay. It was called The Pale of Settlement. And basically, it was a very large ghetto where the czars placed the Jews to make money for them through taxes. But they were not allowed to grow. They weren't allowed to go to college. And um, so they were basically stuck in this place. And then every once in a while, the czars and the secret police would carry out what they called pogroms. And those were special persecutions where they would attack the Jewish community, sometimes people would be beat up, other times they would be killed, they would destroy property and so forth. And so what happened in the 1880s is that Tsar Alexander was assassinated. And one of the assassins uh, was a Jewish woman. And so the uh, Russian government used that as an excuse to unleash hell on the Jews. And they had a series of very uh, damaging pogroms where people were hurt and people were killed. And finally, the uh, leaders of the Jewish communities said, we can't keep living like this. This doesn't make sense. And so um, that was when the Zionist movement began to say, we need to go back to our homeland. And the thing is, is that for 1800 plus years, every year at Passover, at the end of the Passover meal, they would end it by saying, next year, in Jerusalem. Right. This was in their heart. Uh, you, you know, you could take someone out of their homeland, but you can't take the homeland out of their heart. And this was not only a cultural thing, but they believed that this was the land that God had promised to them according to the scripture. And so beginning in the 1880s, little groups of Jewish uh, pioneers started moving into what they called Eretz Israel, what the world called Palestine. Now, the word Palestine was given by the Romans. 
and it was when they pushed the Jews out of Eretz Israel that they changed the name to name it after the Philistines, who were the enemies of Israel. They were rubbing the noses of the Jews in their defeat. And so the Jews to this day call it Israel. I mean, that's what they've always called it over the years. And so they started moving back because what had happened is about 400 years before this, um, the Turks, the Ottoman Empire, had taken over control of that part of the world. And they didn't really care about it. For them, it was just another place to gather ta taxes. And so most of the people who lived in that part of the world were actually Arab or Jews or Christians. There were very few Turks that actually lived there unless they were govern government official that had to live there, but they didn't want to live there. And so there were vast areas of wasteland and they had allowed the whole area to just go to a desert. And, uh, you know, you, you had talked earlier about Doug Hershey's book, Israel Rising, right. where he shows in that book how it used to look 100 plus years ago before the Zionists did what they did to bring the land back uh, and how it looks today. And it's really a remarkable thing. And one of the things that Doug said in the book and in uh, my interview with him when I did an interview for inspiration.org, he said they used to tax people based on the number of trees that they had. And that was one of the ways that they determined their wealth. And so people in that part of the world, this is the Ottoman Empire, they started cutting down the trees to lower their taxes. And of course, we know now that that destroys the soil and it causes a big dust bowl, just like we had in the American Midwest during the Depression. Right. And so... What had happened is that the Jews could, in many ways, just walk right on in because there wasn't really anyone there. There were very few people there. And those who did live there, most of them were Bedouins. They lived in tents. Mark Twain described it very in, in very much detail in his book, uh, Innocence Abroad. And he basically said he went for miles and miles and miles before he ever saw people. And then when he did see people, it was all depressed and it was just a very sad place. Uh, Herman Melville, the great American author, said it was like uh, Jerusalem was like a skull with flies flying in and out of the eye sockets. Wow. That's how bad it was. I mean, that gives you a pretty good description. Yeah. And so the Zionists had to come in there and they had to rebuild this nation. And they started with dynamite blowing up rocks. And then they cleared malarial swamps. And sadly, many of them died of malaria because the water had become so polluted and filled with malaria that the that people got this disease and so forth but the breakthrough came when they were able to tap into water wells and when they got into the water wells then they could sustain life and then uh, the uh, baron rothschild got involved and started helping them and it finally took root and it grew but that was the beginning of zionism in the 1880s and so it's remarkable that by 1948, which is really not that much longer, it's one, basically one lifetime, they went from hardly anybody living there to a nation that was, as the Bible says, reborn in a day. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. That is so cool. And I'm glad that you, you cited Doug's book um, because, you know, I know Doug, he's a good friend of mine. And, and uh, you know, he actually wrote a little book about Israel too, not just the Israel Rising one, but the... Did you know that? He wrote another book, a little one. 
No, I haven't seen that yeah. one. I'll have to check that out. It's not as popular, but he gave me a whole box to give away. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, here, take this, give that, give this away. But, but that book, Israel Rising, is crazy because yeah. you it's, just... I love that book. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, and if you guys don't have that book, it's it's the perfect coffee table book because it has, oh. you know, pictures, like old pictures of Israel, barren, and then all of the, you know, current day things. Um, it's, it's amazing. I mean, anybody, you know, God has all this evidence everywhere. Yeah. Um, and the taxation thing you just talked about with the trees, that's really interesting, you know, and if you've ever been to Israel, it's like California, it's desert. So the fact that the soil and all this stuff out there, it's, it's the land flowing with milk and honey, if you will, you know, all that stuff, only God. That's all you can yeah. say, people. Is only well, one of the things in my research that kept coming up again and again, and it was totally fascinating, was that at key moments when it was needed, God would bring in a Bible-believing Christian or an on-fire-for-God Jew to <laughs> speak into situations just when it needed to be spoken into. So, for example, uh, as FDR, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, was trying to decide whether or not to support Israel, Everybody told him uh, in the State Department, you know, very few people can live there. It's desert. Well, there was a guy named uh, Loudermilk, and he was with the uh, Department of the Interior, but he was also a Bible-believing Christian, and he had studied the Dust Bowl in America, and he realized that the problem was this irrigation issue, and so he studied and was involved in the Tennessee Valley Authority in damming up these rivers and then providing irrigation as a result. He took that study and went to Israel and he laid it over Israel and said, this will work here. And because of that irrigation, if they will do this properly, you could have millions of people living there. And that helped change a lot of people's minds. And it was a Bible-believing restorationist. And those restorationists were people who believed that Israel needed to be restored to the Jews, and that would help usher in the return of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Amen, people. All right. Can I get a hallelujah, people? Yeah, I can. <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Hey, I'm going to take a break here. Uh, you know, we've been, we've been talking to Dr. Craig Von Busick. Yeah, we have for 45 minutes already. Can you guys believe it? Okay, so so here's the thing. This is what I want you guys to do. I want you to go get the book. Uh, you have to do it. You can get it at Amazon, I'm sure, but you can also go to bonbusick.com. That's V-O-N-B-U-S-E-C-K. Yeah, it is. Uh, I had to read it because it's right here on my paper. Um Dot com go there you can learn more you can actually watch a whole bunch of other interviews that he did and uh you can get the book there's the cover right there see there's harry with his big glasses by the way craig i used to wear glasses i had lasik eye surgery so i don't wear them anymore well i do for long distance now but anyway anyway um so we want to thank our Ariel ministries for our sponsor you guys if you want to learn more about the bible from the messianic jewish perspective in which it was written you can go to ariel.org you can use our coupon code bible news and save 20 percent on anything there in the store uh there's some good stuff in there there's like uh the 
highlights of the life of Christ from a Jewish perspective. There's Israelology, the missing link in systematic theology. There's the come and see Bible studies that Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum has done. There's a whole bunch of DVDs uh, and stuff you can watch with Model Balston and some other Messianic Jewish teachers. Um, good stuff. Okay. And you know what? Christmas is coming up. This might be the time to stock up people. Actually, they also have some classes there too. Brand new classes. The coupon code doesn't apply to those classes, but still, you can use the coupon code and save 20%. Yep, that's more than 10%. Mm-hmm. Just for Bible News Radio listeners. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay, so you can do that. Also, if you want to be a pillar of our community, all that means is that you have committed to donating to us something every month. Uh, you can do that by PayPal, or you can do it on my website, BibleNewsRadio.com forward slash give. Yeah, you can. And why wouldn't you want to give? It's more blessed to give than to receive people. Yeah, it is. All right. Also, in case you haven't noticed my, my Tumblr, Ladies of Justice. Yeah, it is. Isn't that cool? I have my name on this side so I don't forget myself. Uh, you guys can support me by becoming a member of Legal Shield. Hey, this is personal legal insurance. Yeah, it is. That will get you your will done. If you're an evildoer, you get a traffic ticket. They'll help you with that. If you have contracts you need to get reviewed, they'll do that as well. And you can call them up and talk to these lawyers anytime you want, unlimited, all for 25 bucks a month. That's it. 25 little bucks a month. You get all that protection and more. Uh, and not only that, if if you want to, you like the Tumblr? Good. I'm glad. <laughs> it is pretty, isn't it? It kind of goes with you know, my outfit and my, my brand colors, you know, <laughs> anyway, if you, if you have recently been a victim of a, a hack or a breach, like we all have, like with Equifax, just so you know, we have identity theft protection as well. ID shield, which Kim Commando, America's digital goddess just named as the number one identity theft protection and restoration service to have then you can also get that through me. So you guys know how to do that. So many of you already have, you know, the protection. But if you don't, just remember this. Tap the app and then you'll get the help that you need. All right. And when you get it through me, it will help Bible News Radio. And then we can do more shows. All right. You said it better to give now. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. Anyway, so there's that. What else, Bareface? Am I forgetting anything? Um, no. No. Um. I think that pretty much covers it. Look at Randall's haircut. You like it? Isn't he hot? Yeah, he is. He's a hunky man. Yeah, he is. He's my man. It's my quarterly haircut. <laughs> I like to get my money's worth whenever I get my haircut, you know, so I'd let it grow a while. And, you know, this is not the same if you're paying as much to have a little trim. So I think you're cute. I'm glad you didn't get it cut too short because that irritates me. And they know that. I let them know. <laughs> I said I would get a crew cut if it was just up to me, but it's got to be enough hair to put between the fingers. I either want it really long or not too short. Yeah. Anyway, didn't plan on talking about that, but you brought it up. <laughs> Back to you, Stacy Lynn. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, you know, you think it's hard to host a show? Not if you're me. It's a gift people all right so those were our announcements uh let's see if i have any questions coming here like over there 
Uh, Roman Catholic Truth says Israel in the New Covenant era is the Christian Church, Galatians 6.16, apostate Israel that rejects Christ is not Israel and is not the people of God. Christ abrogated the Old Covenant, Jeremiah 31.31. Did I say that word right? Abrogated? Abrogated? Uh, yes. Okay. Wasn't sure because sometimes I don't say stuff right, as you people know. All right. Any other questions? Do you guys have any A-list guest questions for Craig? You know, why he's coming back. By the way, if you don't know who my guest is, I'll remind you in case you forgot. Or in case you happen to just log on right now to our show. Or if you're listening to the podcast, you decided to skip through the commercials. Yeah, you did. You didn't hear Ariel.org is the place to go to save 20%, did you? Mm-hmm. Because you just decided to skip through the commercial, but now you heard it again anyway. Ha. Okay, anyway, Dr. Craig Von Busick is Busick. Busick. I was just going to say Busick, Craig, and then and then it's you told me how to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the worst part of being a host is messing up people's names. But anyway, he is the... Ed- you, you didn't. You got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's the editor of digital content for Inspiration.org. Hey, by the way, what is Inspiration.org? Like, like what, what do people do over there besides... Well, we have two different networks. We have a Christian network called Inspiration TV. And I oversee the website of the ministry side, inspiration.org. And then we have a family-friendly network that is on cable, and that's called INSP. Okay. And people will recognize uh, INSP. But we are the ministry side, which is Inspiration TV. And they can uh, learn (laughs) everything they want to learn and look at our online magazine, which I edit, which is called (laughs) inspiration.org. I'm laughing because I had a... I had an incident at NRB with INSP. No, no hard feelings here, but I was, I was at NRB. I was on the expo floor, and INSP had their little area that they paid for and everything. And I was new, and I was walking around, and I saw a chair, and I sat down in it. And I was told to move. Get out of here. This is INSP's space. No hard oh. feelings. I didn't know, though. I seriously didn't know. <laughs> I'm like, sorry. I've only been here two years, so <laughs> I had no control over that. <laughs> I, I was just like, really? <laughs> Did you just say that to me? But that's okay. <laughs> Normally, they have a little bowl of candy, you know, and they'll they, give you a little piece of candy or something. They do, usually. That's why I was, I was kind of surprised, but that's okay. I'm, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> On behalf of Inspiration Ministries, I extend our apology. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. No. That's cool, though. That's so cool that you're a part of that. Because, you know, Inspiration TV is, you know, I mean, we're inspirational, I think. Let's see. I want to make sure I didn't miss something. All right. Good. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So let's talk more about about your book. All right. Let's see here. You told me that already. Uh, let's see here. Ah, here's one. Tell me about the Islamic concept of Dar al-Harb. I'm sure I'm messing that up and Dar al-Islam, and how that has affected the way many Palestinian Arabs and other Muslims around the world view the situation in Israel. Actually, that's a good, I wouldn't have asked it that way, but but with all the Islamic persecution that we know about, um, and anti-Semitism, and the fact that Israel's giving away piece by piece, you know, their land, um, how, how does that all impact what, you know, do, what have, do, have you written about that in the book? I guess that's a question. Uh, no, but it is totally associated with the book and why 
things developed the way that they did there in Palestine, which became Israel, which actually was Israel to begin with. And so here's the concept. In Islam, any part of the earth that has been defeated in jihad, in a holy war, they consider that to be Islamic land forever. And so when Islam, when Islamic uh, politicians and people who are involved in uh, jihad and so forth look at that part of the world, they say that, well, Saladin conquered the uh, Crusaders and took this land all those centuries ago. And so then that was passed down to the Mamluks, to the Egyptians, and then to the Turks. Those were all Islamic rulers. For, so for more than a thousand years, it was Islamic land. So in their mind, they still see it as Islamic land. And that is why when President Clinton uh, had the Geneva Accords and he had Yasser Arafat there, and uh, Prime Minister Barack bent over backwards to trade land for peace, and I mean, everybody was shocked. I mean, anybody yeah. who's from more of a conservative side looking at that uh, were shocked that Barack was willing to do that. But they, the people of Israel, the Jews in Israel, so much want peace that they wanted that they were willing to give this amazing concession. Well, Yasser Arafat refused, and basically, it was going back to this concept where. Arafat and his uncle, who he was trained under, who was the Mufti of Israel, uh, his name was uh, Haj um, al-Amin Husseini, um, they look at it as all their land, and so the Jews can have none of it. And people need to understand that because people who uh, don't have that understanding or who come from a secular perspective, they don't understand why can't they just get along? Why can't they just make a deal? Well, it's because of this religious uh, theology in the Quran that says that once it's their land, it's always their land. Whereas the Jews, they believe that God gave them the land and that the Jews were always there and they've been there for 3,000 years. So that's why you have this clash. And so it's important to understand these theological things to help understand what is happening when we watch the news. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I, you know, so explain to us like where you think, because, you know, there is a segment of the church today that is anti-Semitic, unfortunately, um, you know. Uh, um, Just like the person you read his quote from earlier. Yeah. That's anti-Semitism. I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no biblical justification for what that gentleman said. The Apostle Paul said it very clearly. He said, we, the church, are grafted into the root of the tree, which is Israel. Right. We come afterwards. And then he said such an important thing. He said, so don't be arrogant. Yep. And the church for nearly 2,000 years, many of them, and, and this person who made this comment, uh, you're being arrogant. You're not recognizing that God made a covenant with Israel, and that is an everlasting covenant. Now, he has also made a covenant with the church, and it is an eternal covenant. We don't understand. It's a mystery how he's going to work it all out in the end. But we have to recognize that when God made that covenant with Abraham, he said, in you and your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Right. He repeated that in the exact same language to Isaac and to Jacob. 
in you and your seed, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so when he spoke about to Abraham, look at the stars of the, of the sky and the sands of the sea, he wasn't just talking about physical Israel because the Jews have never been that big of a people group. Right. They've always been small. And so just in that, we see that God's original promise, as Paul pointed out in Galatians, was that it would be according to faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So we in Christ believe God and it is accounted to us as righteousness. That's why we sing, Father Abraham has many sons, right. many sons, right? Why do we have our kids Father sing Abraham, that song? No. And, you know, <laughs> March, I am one, so are you. Because we are. Right. And the Jews are our brothers and sisters in God. And that's why we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to support our brothers and sisters. We need to fight anti-Semitism and we need to support modern Israel. And I'm sorry, sir, whoever you are, but you need to go back and restudy your Bible because God did not replace Israel. He grafted us into Israel. Yeah. Is somebody going by the name of Roman Catholic truth if that if that helps? I don't I don't know what their actual name is, but but yeah, you know, it's it's the new anti Semitism. It's huge. And yeah. and and what's really sad, and you know this, is that not that I okay, I don't mean to I don't wanna be like how do I say this? Oh, I never censor myself, so I'll just say what I feel. <laughs> you know, I just think that so much of the church today is watered down that theologically they don't understand. That's why Ariel Ministries supports us, because years ago I met Arnold's wife, and then I met Arnold. Um, and when I went through the life of Christ from a Messianic Jewish perspective, Dr. Arnold Fruchenbaum's teaching, that changed everything for me because it helped me to understand Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, you know, and all those chapters. Yes. I had no idea, you know, people will stop at Romans 8. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but then they'll get to chapter 9, 10, and 11 and just kind of go, whatever, let's just ignore these three chapters and then read 12. It drives me crazy because it's clear what what yes. the scripture says, um, and um, but teachers today, many you know, many of the evangelical types, you know, when they're not promoting homosexuality and others said they're promoting anti-Semitism because they don't talk about Israel and the importance of Israel. So you have this ignorant part of the church, and then you have the prophet, the prophecy type of church who actually is trying to educate people about it um and all that and so, so that's kind of what we do here and we have a love-hate relationship with some people because it's like well you're a zionist you're this you're well yeah so <laughs> i'm part jewish what are you gonna do about it i mean you're like persecuting the jews here you know my grandma seven generations back was full blood you know so it's <laughs> It, it yeah it it drives me crazy because God doesn't break His covenant. Amen. He doesn't, Amen. and and you know here's the other thing you know like Esther right, um, Esther the feast of Purim, right? All throughout history, God has had, uh, or the devil I should say, has had antichrist people trying to come against His people every generation, whether it's Hitler, or you know all the way back to Esther's time and before, even when Christ was born, Herod was there trying to kill him, right? The Inquisition, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and you know, one of the interesting things for me when I went to uh, Israel, it was only I was only there a week, but I had the, the privilege of um, going to the Holocaust Museum. 
Me too. And I remember, you know, it was so impactful to me. I remember that, you know, they had Holocaust survivors speaking, a husband and a wife team in particular. But one of the, and this was before I really understood, right? I didn't get it. Um, but I remember walking through the Holocaust Museum and they were talking about um, how um, today in Israel, they welcome Christians because the Christians who get Israel are the biggest supporters of Israel. Whereas before in the past, as we were walking through the Holocaust Museum, they, they pointed out the wing where the so-called Christians persecuted the Jews. And right. I remember them talking about how they had sent the Holocaust Museum up to make it fe make you feel like you're walking through to the gas chamber, you know, to give you the, the experience of what these Jews went through. You know, it, it just, yeah. So it, going back to your book, you know, those people who are ignorant of history are bound to repeat it, right? Yes. So how then, uh, so what is it, what is the main message you want people to really get from your book? as far as, you know, how can it help them biblically understand why Israel is so important and why what even Donald Trump is doing is, is good? Yeah, well, sorry for my with, rant. As we, with, as we started this conversation, uh, we spoke of the fact that one of the biggest truths and demonstrations of God's reality is seeing modern day Israel and seeing the Jews having survived the uh, diaspora, which was not only over 2000 years, one of the things that I discovered in the book was that there were many Jews who were pushed out under the Babylonian captivity who stayed in Babylon. Right. And they were in Iraq right up until the birth of modern Israel. And when modern Israel was born, the Iraqis and almost all of the Arab nations, really most of them, if not all of them, pushed all the Jews out of their lands. They had been there. Think of that. The Jews had been there since Nebuchadnezzar. Right. And yet when Israel was born, they got pushed out. And of course, you know, Israel welcomed them with open arms. Um, but one of the things that you hear in uh, a lot of the liberal and leftist leaning uh, press and education is that Israel stole, that the Jews stole Israel uh, from the Arabs. And so this book basically is a defense of the rebirth of Israel. There are 1,200 endnotes because wow. when I wrote this, I approached it as though I were making this defense before the Supreme Court. Hmm. And so when I talk to people and they say that the Jews stole Israel from the Palestinians or from the Arabs, I say, well, let me ask you a question. How many Arab nations are there? 22. Right. And then I say, and how many Muslim nations are there? 50. How many Jewish nations are there? One. <laughs> the size right. of New Jersey. Right. By the way, after the Balfour Declaration or during, in the Balfour Declaration after World War One, the British promised in, uh, the Jews all of Palestine. Now, Palestine was a province in the Ottoman Empire, like a state. It was the size of Pennsylvania. I grew up in Pennsylvania. I know that's a big state. It takes like 10 hours to drive from northwestern Pennsylvania down to Philadelphia, right? The big state. That was all promised to the Jews. But what happened is that the French came in and they pushed King Faisal off of the throne in Syria. And they broke the promise that the British had made to Faisal and to Faisal's brother. Now, 
if you say who is Faisal, if you ever watch the movie uh, Lawrence of Arabia, it's Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> it's uh, it's Alex Guinness who plays King Faisal in that movie, and he was given the throne of Syria as king. The French came and pushed him out, and so his brother Abdullah gathered an Arab army and were heading towards Syria to attack the French. Well, this was right after World War I and the British said, wait, whoa, 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 let's calm down here a second. So they sent Winston Churchill and Churchill met with all these Arabs and he said, listen, we don't need any more bloodshed. We've already had this big war. Let's do this. Faisal, you get Iraq. Abdullah, you are gonna get Iraq, but we're gonna split Palestine down the Jordan River and we're going to give everything to the east of the Jordan River, or Transjordan, to Abdullah. And he's going to set up his kingdom, which, of course, we know today is the modern nation of Jordan. And everything to the west, or the West Bank, will go to the Jews. Well, by the time they came to the vote in the UN, they had cut that in half. It was half the size of New Jersey, which they've gained it back through being attacked by the Arabs and gaining back this land. And so. People just don't understand that uh, you, you need to study your history to find out what the truth of what has happened is. Israel has been, the Jews have been in Israel for 3,000 years. How many other nations can say that? Egypt, China, India, not many others. And yet we want to take this land, which is the size of New Jersey, away from them and give it back to the Arabs who already have 22 other nations. Yeah. When you look at it from that perspective, you have to step back and rethink what it is that you've been taught based on the facts. Amen. Preach it, brother. So, yeah, you know, here's the thing, too, though. You know, those who bless Israel will be blessed, right? Amen. And I believe that America, frankly, I think the only thing that's keeping God's severe hand of judgment off this country is Frankly, I think Donald Trump and, and the fact that he has come back and supported Israel under Obama. Are you kidding me? I mean, I've talked to them over there at Israel 365 and what they've told me and, and you know, trying to get people to understand that is is crazy. They don't understand yeah. it. And I don't understand, you know, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I do. Well, I do. And you asked why I wrote the book. Yeah. This is why I wrote the book. Right. So how do you how do you how do you get the book into hands of people though like the modern snowflake who doesn't give a crap about like history you know what I mean I mean seriously uh, I'm doing it any way that I possibly can <laughs> and um, for those who uh, want to order the book uh, you could go to iamcyrusbook.com and that will take you to uh, the page to be able to order that uh, I'm going on to every TV show. Uh, every web show, every radio show that I possibly can to get the word out there. And uh, I think that the key, though, is really, as the Bible says, uh, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Right. Um, you and I, we are part of the Air Forces. And Air Forces don't win wars. Air Forces can break up communication. Air Forces can bomb vital places. But it takes the ground troops going in on the ground to take the land. And who are the ground troops? Parents, homeschool people, uh, people who are in the local church, people who are, you know, uh, missionaries and Bible school professors and whoever is called to go one-on-one -on -one and share the good news 
that's the home, that's, those are the, the ground troops. And so I am hoping that you and I can equip the ground troops, those who are watching this program, and then we all working together can go out and make an impact on our society. Uh, you know, the days are very dark and there's a lot of misinformation and propaganda, anti-Semitism that is happening in our high schools, yep. in our college campuses, in the media. And so we have to be vigilant uh, to go out and uh, speak the word of the Lord. But the great news is that we have God's promise that his word will not go forth void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it's been sent. And so um, like Jeremiah, we can hear the voice of the Lord saying, don't be afraid of their faces for wherever I send you, you will go. Whatever I command you, you will speak. And I have called you to be a prophet to the nations. And that's what we must be uh, to sound forth God's truth in the world today. Amen. So do you think it's ironic? By the way, I think I have another interview venue for you because are, are, <laughs> you, are you familiar with, uh, with Skywatch TV? Skywatch? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. You never heard of Derek Gilbert? No, I'll, I'll have to check that out. All right. I will, I will hook you up. Okay, cool. Um, because they are, they are pro-Israel and uh, I might be able to get you two interviews. So we'll, so, well, we'll talk after, uh, but I will say, um, okay, what was I going to say? Okay. I had a thought. <laughs> hey. You're talking about vigilance and, and training up the troops. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is live streaming people. Yeah, it is. This is middle-aged menopause as well. Uh, it's quarter plus it's quarter after nine. Hey, uh, just so you know. It's been a long day. I played pickleball this morning. Uh, yeah, I did. Do you play pickleball? No. Okay. I don't even know what pickleball is. <laughs> I'll tell you later. Okay. Anyway, so, so, um, oh, that's what it was. What I was going to say is that, you know, you talk about history being rewritten and stuff. 9-11 just, you know, 9-11 wasn't too long ago. And yeah. And I heard that they are actually rewriting the history books about 9-11 for, for kids. Yeah, yeah. It, I like what Mark Twain said about <laughs> history. Um, I, I think it, it rings very true. He said, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it rhymes. Hmm. Because it's never exactly the same, but many of the same types of things take place. Yeah. And uh, we... You know, I was on an airplane flying from Atlanta to Chicago when all the attacks happened on 9-11. My parents had to drive up to Chicago from Erie, Pennsylvania to pick me up and take me back to Virginia Beach because there were no planes, trains, or automobiles to be had. Uh, we were stuck. Yeah. And um, 3,000 of our, of our fellow countrymen died that day. And they died because of this ideology of jihad. They attacked America because America stands for freedom. They attacked America because America is against tyranny. But they also attacked America because America has supported Israel from the time of who? Harry S. Truman, the hmm. first Cyrus uh, of modern eras, the, modern, the first modern day Cyrus. And now, thankfully, President Trump has been uh, the most supportive president since Harry S. Truman. And so I think uh, there was no accident that it was time for a book called I Am Cyrus yeah. to be out there. 
And so we just need to get the truth out there the best that we can so that uh, we will continue to support them. Now, uh, you know, Churchill, actually Winston Churchill, we know him from World War II, but he was a lifelong supporter of the Jews. His father's best friends were all Jewish financiers and politicians. And Churchill's dad died when uh, he was very young. And all of these friends gathered around his deathbed and said, we will raise young Winston. And they did. And so Churchill was raised primarily by these Jewish leaders. And so he loved the Jews. He loved Israel. And he was a restorationist. And, and Churchill said to England, when England was backing away from its promise in the Balfour Declaration, Great Britain, Churchill warned them. And he said, God's word tells us that those who support Israel and bless Israel, he will bless. And he said, and those who do not, they will be cursed. And he said, that's not only true for individuals, but it's true for nations. Well, Britain backed down from that and they almost, they did everything they could to keep Israel from being a nation. That's just historic fact. And sadly, within a very short amount of time, the British empire completely collapsed. And I think that that is a modern day warning that we as Americans need to look at and say, are we going to believe God's word and follow God's word and support Israel and be blessed? Or are we going to turn our backs on Israel and suffer the consequences? And those are sobering thoughts. Yep, they are. And, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, given Bible prophecy, <laughs> you know, and ultimately how the Bible is going to unfold, I think at some point America is going to fall. Uh, because the rise of the Antichrist has to come into power, right? I mean, and that's probably the most anti-Semitic individual in the world. Yeah. Yes. Just saying. He will be, absolutely. So, yeah. All right. Well, hey, you know, I'm kind of tired now. So <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's wind this up. How's that sound, huh? Okay. That's, that's great. But thank you so much for having me on the program. <laughs> yeah. You know, anytime you want to come back, you're welcome to come back. You let me know. You know, give me a date and time. We'll be there. Because, um, you know, like what what's some of the stuff that you guys talk like you speak around the the country or, you know, what do you talk on? I mean, like more than just this topic, do you talk on other topics? Uh, sure. There, you know, it really depends on the needs <laughs> of the organization. Mm -hmm. And I'm a part of a, a speakers group uh, called Exceptional Keynote Speakers, and so people can book me through that or just send me a message directly, and we can set something up. But, um, you know, I'll teach on various subjects, uh, Bible teaching and so forth. But then I also do writer's training. I do uh, training on public speaking and uh, media and so forth. So it just really depends on the need. Okay, cool. So those of you out there who have your own shows or your pastor's wife or a pastor yourself, you know, consider Craig, you know, you know, because the speaker's life is like glorious and it's glamorous, you know, <clears throat> And you get super rich writing books these days. Just kidding. <laughs> you, you don't actually. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Right. I mean, that's the funniest thing. People think you get rich selling books. Uh, no, you don't. That's why you're a speaker. You make more money doing that, you know? So, but anybody, seriously, if you, if you want Craig for, to, for, for anything, you want to have him on your show or anything. I know some of you out there have your other shows. Big, little, it doesn't matter. Because you know what? Where God sends you, you never know. One person could be influencing 10 million other people. You just don't know. Amen. Right? It's so true. You know, numbers don't matter. Remember David and Goliath. That's right. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. So tomorrow, you guys, Sunday, 
Sunday night. We'll be back. We're going to kind of do more of a, a Bible study-ish type program like we do on Sunday night. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Don't forget, go get the book. Okay? Go get the book, people. And read it. Don't just buy it. Read it. Get informed. And um, And as I say at the end of every show... Remember, say it with me, be bold, stand up people, and go with God because he loves you. Okay, and we'll be back tomorrow.